Welcome to the Cultivate Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This week's podcast is on worship. We all know what worship is. It's that period in the service before the sermon, specifically the music and the songs, or at least that's what we're often led to believe. It's easy to equate worship with music centred on God, but it's much more than that. The word most commonly translated in the New Testament as worship is proscunius. It's made up of the two words pros towards and cuneo, to kiss, meaning an act of homage or reference towards God. Worship is submitting to the will and rule of the King. Worship is how we live and is often expressed in music, but is much more than three songs before the offering. My favourite example of a worshipper in the Gospels is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, for three reasons. Context, contrition and content. Context, that was the position she was in when she worshipped. You see, it's easy to think of things going well for her, but I want you to have a different look at Mary's life. We don't know a lot about her, but we can make some reasonable guesses. She lived in Bethany, which is where Jesus spent the last week of his life. We're told it means a house of figs, so we see it as a place of rest and refreshment. A great place to stay. However, in Aramaic, the language Jesus spoke, Bethany means house of affliction or house of pain. And the reasons are made really clear in the temple scroll, the largest of the Dead Sea Scrolls, where it talks about Bethany as a leper colony. It advises how a leper colony must be 1.280 kilometres from the gates of a city, and Bethany about 2.8 kilometres from the gates of Jerusalem over the hill and well out of sight was probably that place. After all, it's where Jesus visited the home of Simon the leper. It's where Lazarus died. Doesn't sound so much like a resort now, does it? Jesus didn't spend his last week in a resort. He spent it in a leper colony. That sounds much more like the Jesus I know. Mary didn't worship when her life was perfect. She worshipped when she lived in a leper colony where a brother was dying, knowing that she might yet die of that time's most feared disease. Each time she tended to her brother's care, she became unclean, excluding her from attending the temple, the social centre of the day, and stopped her from mixing with others outside the home. Contrition. There was a humility to the way that Mary worshipped. The beautiful picture that she provides is that Mary is always at the feet of Jesus. Consider these three verses. Luke 10, 38. His sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. John eleven thirty two 32 says, When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been there. My brother would not have died. And then in John 12, 3, Then Mary took a 12-inch jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard and and anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. 
the house was filled with a fragrance. She understood that worship was living at the feet of Jesus, giving her life to his will and rule. I just want to mention too that when she sat at his feet listening, it wasn't that she wasn't doing what Martha was doing, but that Jesus was allowing her to sit and listen to what was being taught. That was a rule that traditionally was given to men. The men sat and listened while the woman worked. If ever there is a time that we see Jesus empowering women, this is it. This is where Jesus says, I'm not fussed about the norms. I don't care about the culture. Truly with Jesus, there is neither male or female. The content of her worship. Worship times in modern churches are often designed to draw you into a place of intimacy. They model Psalm 95 where it goes from verse 1 to shouting to verse 6 kneeling. I guess this is because when we arrive at church, we're often thinking about stuff like the driver that cut us off at the intersection, the power bill or the effort to get there on time, but not giving voice to the joy of living in submission to God. But consider the elements in that Mary's act of worship recorded in John 12. She was purposeful. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honour. Martha served and Lazarus was there amongst those who ate with him. Mary wasn't there by accident. She came intentionally to honour him. Her worship was pricey. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. It cost her. Her position. She anointed Jesus' feet with her hair. She was passionate. Using her hair, not a towel, not a cloth. Prayerful. The house was filled with fragrance. Refer that to Psalm 141 verse 2 or Revelation 8.4. Prophetic. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial in verse 7. When we think of early church worship, we imagine it to be very much like ours, without synthesizers, smoke machines, PowerPoints. But I don't think it was quite as we imagined. What we do know is that they worship daily. We're told this in Acts 2, 46 and 47, where it says, They worship together at the temple each day met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. I believe that worship for them was not just about singing, but was about sharing the Lord's Supper. It was about the way that they lived. It was about encouraging themselves and each other to live in submission to the will of God. So did they use musical instruments? Of course, the Jewish tradition used various musical instruments as referred to in Psalms, like the lyre and the harp. But did the early church follow the Jewish tradition? Actually, history suggests no. Certainly, singing was an incredibly important part 
of worship. It was the last thing Jesus did with the disciples before they went to pray in the garden, before his arrest and trial. They sang a hymn. Check Matthew 26.30. And we see reference to it, such as singing in prison in Acts 16.25. And Paul encourages us to make it part of our daily life in Colossians 3.16. Ironically, nowhere in the New Testament are musical instruments mentioned except in John's visions in Revelation 5, 8 and 15, 2. And the early church fathers spoke strongly against the use of any musical instruments. Justin Mara, about 150 AD, condemned any association with musical instruments as worldly. Clement of Alexandra, 200 AD, severely denounced the use of instruments among Christians, even at banquets. Gregory mentions instruments, but only in a way to disapprove of them. He believed their only use was the arousement of sensuousness. Even John Wesley said, I have no objection to the organ in our chapels, provided it is neither seen nor heard. It may interest you that in history, it wasn't until the 12th century that there was any record of a musical instrument ever being in a church service. Does that mean I'm against music and musical instruments in the church? Absolutely not. But we need to ensure that any musical accompaniment is focused on leading people to intimacy, not just into an emotional experience. I do think the same message Paul gave to the Ephesian church is relevant today. In writing to the church at Ephesus, Paul contrasts the difference between the practices of Dionysus and following Christ. This is what he says in chapter 5, verses 15 to 20. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs amongst yourself and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give, every, give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ever wonder where that idea of drunk with wine came from? A very popular cult in Ephesus and elsewhere in the Roman Empire was worshipping the Greek god Dionysus, or Bacchus, as the Romans knew him. He was a god of wine and was worshipped with alcohol, music, dance and unrestrained behaviour. And losing themselves in the wine, music and dance, people forgot all about their worries and became liberated. It was because of this liberated through alcohol and dance and music that people knew Dionysus as the liberator. The passage in Ephesians 5 contrasts Dionysus, worship and Christ worship, wine versus the Holy Spirit, music versus honouring God, unrestrained dance versus expressing joy, liberation versus trusting in God. It is possible we can also be guilty of making music and songs more important than worship. Remember, worship is not music or songs. It is the intentional submission of your will to God. It is placing 
the commands and will of Jesus above your own preferences, your own choices, your own decisions, your own privilege. Too often we use music and singing to bring us a sense of pleasure rather than completely reaffirm our unreserved submission to the will of God. Imagine if we stopped thinking and talking about worship and music and considered it, in light of Mary's example, something very different. Perhaps we should start considering worship as sitting at the feet of Jesus, willing to do his will regardless of our situation or the cost. God bless you. Thank you for joining the Cultivate podcast. If we can help you with anything or you'd like some notes, please email us at crosscultivation at gmail.com. God bless.